On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we have Chelsea Lowe, who is an athletic trainer who has recently transitioned out of the traditional practice of athletic training and is using her skill set now working for a secondary insurance company focused on athletics. Uh, I've known Chelsea for quite a while. She has done a lot in her career, taken on an enormous amount of roles and responsibilities and learned a lot along the way. Um, also a board member of women in athletic training, which is a hugely popular and successful group. They've done so many great things to help each other out. We hope to have another episode coming along with Chelsea involving that group as well. But we talk a lot about the overcommitment that can happen in athletic training and how leaving that couldn't leave a void in your life because you're so used to go, go, go. Uh, so a lot of really good things to take away from this episode, just to hear it from that side. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. So many interesting things coming out from Mueller here in the near future. Uh, keep attention to their social media. Uh, the Handy Gym is something that's been kind of working on and coming to fruition. They keep having things um, tied to, I highly recommend looking into that a little bit and seeing what you think. But without further ado, please enjoy this episode. So welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. We are on with Chelsea Lowe, who I have known for quite some time. Um, really, when you think about it, it's been quite a while, um, a decade now. Uh, we've been trying to make this episode happen, uh, but just haven't been able to coordinate uh, with lots of different things changing in both of our lives. Um, but I'm glad we have. Uh, Chelsea and I went to grad school together um, at the University of Kansas, uh, working with different teams, but spent many an hour in the athletic training room there. Uh, kind of went different routes, a uh, couple different things with careers, and now both probably doing something neither one of us thought we would end up in that role. So we'll definitely talk about that. Uh, but before I keep going, I just wanted to turn it over to you to kind of fill in your background and then we'll get kind of chatting on some of our topics. Yeah, um, it is very crazy to think about how long we've actually known each other. Um, I, yeah, 2009 was a very long time ago. It does not seem like a very long time ago. It seems like, oh yeah, just like a couple years ago. Sure. But no, that's a very long time ago that we started grad school. Um, yeah, so I did my undergrad at uh, Northern Colorado. I'm a born and raised Denver, Colorado baby. Um, and it was the only Division I school, I still is, I believe, um, Division I school in Colorado that offered athletic training as a program. And I met my athletic trainer in high school as a catcher for a softball team that was chronically dealing with shin splints and thumb pain. And loved her and loved everything about the athletic training room. So even though I went to a different school, I actually went to Denver School of the Arts for middle school and high school. Like I was a theater person, did played an instrument, all the things. 
fell in love with athletic training, went to the only division one school in the state, like literally didn't apply anywhere else. Like made sure I had my grades, made sure I had everything I needed. That was the school I wanted. That was the career path I wanted. Athletic training from the get. Grad school for two years um, at KU, which was, I mean, talk about being dropped in the deep end. Like you definitely, you have to rise to that challenge. And I think that's the beauty of GA shifts, right? Like, yes, you're dropped in the deep end, but like there's a lifeguard, they're nearby-ish, like they will be there. Um, but yeah, grad school. And then I actually went back to University of Denver for a year and did an internship there and got to work with their uh, volleyball and their ski teams. And skiing was crazy. Um, it's a whole other version of sport that I had no knowledge of. I mean, I grew up skiing and snowboarding, but like that is totally different. Um, sure. So we literally lived at the base of a mountain for three weeks. They're on the trimester system. So they have a much longer winter break, which helps their ski teams a lot. So we lived at the base of Winter Park. Um, for three straight weeks, we'd come home on the weekends because that's when everybody else goes skiing and just did that. Like we cooked all of our dinners together. We just hung out. Um, we all had like separate living quarters and whatnot, but it's very different than like your normal like travel trips, like where you just literally just pack in for three weeks and that's what you're doing every single day. Um, so that was a very interesting experience. I learned a lot in terms of like the capacity of strength that an athlete can train to. I mean, like the lower extremity and quad strength on ski athletes is unmatched, absolutely unmatched. I will put them against anybody else out there because the forces they have to take on in the positions that they're taking them on are just, it was incredible just to watch them and work with them. So I learned a ton at that internship. Then I was actually offered a position with Bowling Green State University football which was like my dream job. I always wanted to work football. It was my favorite thing to work in um, undergrad. I've always been the like, women can do absolutely anything. I can be anywhere with anyone and I want to work football. So when I got that chance, I absolutely jumped at it. We moved to Ohio um, and lived in Ohio for four years. And I say we, because I met my husband in undergrad, we got married literally in between undergrad and grad school. Um, and did that for four years, um, had the opportunity to move to Iowa for a position with volleyball with Northern Iowa. And I did that for four seasons and then switched to softball, um, which I is what I originally played back in high school. Love the sport. The coaches were ph phenomenal. Um, the team needed the extra hand that a staff can offer versus kind of that GA option. Um, and I said, let's go for it. Um, I knew the assistant coach really well. So I said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to do this. So I did that. And then fast forward to three months ago and I made a decision, like you said, that I never thought I would ever be making in athletic training. And I left the traditional setting completely and totally put, packed up all my collegiate everything. And now I work in secondary insurance. And it's completely remote, so I can be home. And I work nine to five, Monday through Friday. And I can drop my kids off in the morning at school and pick them up in the evenings and take them to doctor's appointments. And I don't have to worry about finagling all the hours of daycare I can possibly max out in a week, plus hiring a nanny. Um, I get to just 
be a mom and still use my athletic training knowledge and my brain. And so far, so good. So I think that's a lot of what we had discussed, you know, we were going to talk about today, um, just kind of looking at multiple things and kind of what brought you to your new role. Um, we were just talking off air and then obviously when we were trying to plan this, but um, one thing when we were trying to plan this is you mentioned and you're only three months in, um, which it, it is its own thing. And I think that kind of plays a role. Um, this is not about my career change, but I'm about a year in to my shift. Um, and, but you referenced something about this void that you have felt, or maybe you still are, or it's not quite as big as you thought yet, but you know, time obviously will tell what, what do you mean with that void in terms of moving out of the collegiate setting, or I hesitate to say, but that quote unquote, traditional kind of sports athletics setting, uh, that you've been yeah, a part of I, your career. The way I've explained it to um, my really close friends, my family, and my therapist um, is that there is a this gigantic place that you hold in your life, physically, um, emotionally, spiritually, literally every possible way, because we're, we're so ingrained in athletic training. Like athletic training is not a job by any means. And I think it's more than a career because it's a lifestyle. Like it's, it's, it's especially in the traditional settings, but I think in all the settings, like I'm so tied into um, what my teams are doing, what my coaches are doing, wh how, what the ebb and flow of everything is looking ahead, trying to learn, like you're constantly engraved in this, in this thing that encompasses your life. I mean, my kids, we're at sporting events. They knew my team colors. Like that's, that's how we existed. Like everything is correlated to it. All of my clothes come from those team colors. Like it, when you step out of it and you look back on it, you're like, huh, I, that's silly that I bought all my clothes only in that color scheme. But it makes sense when you're in it, because why would I buy anything else? That's all that I can wear anyways. Um, so you have this huge, gigantic space that you use to fill. And when you step away from that, their huge gigantic space that you saved is still there. Like it's, it's this physical space. It's this weight. It's this, um, that daunting feeling that like something's coming down that you're not prepared for, or at least for me, that's what it is. Um, that like, wait, what am, what am I missing? Like something's going to happen. I need to make sure I'm prepared for it. Cause like, I've spent the last what 13 years doing that. Like our, our whole job is being ready for anything at all possible times, having all the answers to all the questions or being able to get them as fast as you possibly can from the best source that you can get them from. So like now that I don't have that and I just have this um, very systematic, um, it still uses my brain, it still uses my knowledge, but like there are much more checks and balances. There's not any of this like um, shift or drama or, really a whole lot of interpersonal like yes we we work with our our schools and our in each other and we have relationships but it's not this like I don't have students walking into my office bringing up whatever is going on with them because as athletic trainers we do so much more than just hey let me check out your knee it's so much more than that we have so many more conversations and I think those are the things that I'll miss the most is being able to offer that safe space and offer that um that listening ear to my student athletes, to my peers, to my coaches, 
um, in that moment. But now that this gigantic space is empty, I don't know what to do with it yet. I haven't, I haven't filled it yet. And I've been very, um, in very, uh, the word, um, tried very hard not to do that. Um, because I'm someone that absolutely wants to fill all of my time as fast as I possibly can. Being stagnant feels wrong to me. Being, being, having free time feels like I'm not doing something I'm supposed to be doing. To the tune of best example of this is I started at UNI, I was just working volleyball and I don't, it's not to belittle volleyball off our trainers out there. They're very busy. There is a constant battle to be doing the next best thing in the world of volleyball. It is an unreal world. However, coming from football, I was missing a hundred student athletes all of a sudden. Like they're there, they just weren't there to fill my time. So me being the silly person that I was, when our insurance coordinator left in October of the first year that I was hired, I was hired in July, I voluntarily walked into my boss's office and said, hello, I would like to take on that responsibility. I have free time. So that's what I did. And I took over insurance for five years. And it's amazing because it led to this new career opportunity, which I am so thankful for. But like who in their right mind does that? Like normally it's like you add it because it's part of what you're hired to do or it's one of your job responsibilities. But I did it because I felt like I shouldn't have that much free time. I felt like I was um, supposed to be doing something more where I could have probably filled that other time with other things. Um, but yeah, like the, this, this giant feeling of what do you do with all of that saved energy and all of that time spent and like not having to take your phone everywhere, like just the little pieces of it that um, intentional, that's the word. I'm trying to be very intentional about not just filling that space entirely um, in all the ways. Like I don't need to go to all of the sporting events. I don't need to you know, find a huge thing to volunteer for. I don't need to, you know, sign on to be on all these new committees. Like I just need to take some time in the moment that I actually have this freedom and enjoy it and start figuring out what living life in the real world actually is. Cause I've, we've never had that before. Again, I know it's only been a few months, um, but if you, you know, on kind of initial reflection, when you look back, was all of that absolutely necessary if you were to look at it now? Or was it something that you felt was important? I'm not questioning that you felt it at the moment. <laughs> I, I think that was a big shift for me, you know, working at Division I um, level and then kind of moving down to the Division Three. Just some of the expectations can be subtly different from coaches. Some, some don't um, think that. They think all the expectations are the same. Uh, but I know, like, for me – I didn't give out my cell phone number unless it was absolutely necessary at my previous job. If you want to get a hold of me, email comes directly to my phone. I'll be happy to, you know, kind of check, pick and choose when to look at it. But it wasn't, you know, lights and sirens. We also weren't paying for everybody's medical coverage either, you know, in terms of athletic related injuries. But excuse me, um, if you kind of did that initial look back, was it all necessary or was it just in the moment it felt? as if it was? I think for me, it was all necessary. Um, and, and I say that because, well, one, I wasn't getting the, I wasn't getting the phone calls for insurance. Like those were not the middle of the night phone calls. Those were not the evening phone calls. Um, 
for me, it was all necessary because of the environments that I existed in. So I've only ever worked division one. Um, and I've been very, very fortunate to have worked with teams that were, um, extremely competitive. Um, the volleyball team made the NCAA tournament every single year. The football team I worked with um, made a bowl game all four years I was there. And as a mid-major, that was kind of a big deal. <laughs> so we've, we've been very um, high expectations for everyone involved in each program. Um, so when you have coaches and administrators, because I don't, I don't want to solely throw coaches under the bus because it's, it's not all them. They are brought up in a culture that allows for that type of um, interactions with people in general with people that they work with. Um, but so coaches, administrators, um, and other sports medicine people in our, in our realm um, that required that amount of attentiveness. Now, should I have recognized that as being ridiculous and created a boundary line? Sure, maybe, but I, I at my core, one of my most beneficial and worst faults is that I'm a people pleaser a million times over. I will go above and beyond for anyone in my life all the time. Um, when I learned of the Maya Angelou quote, I think I, I think I only heard it really like actually like sunk into my, into my being for the first time in 2013 was, um, do the best you can until you know better when you know better, do better. Like that's my mantra in life. Always, always has been, I'm going to do the actual best I ever can. But the second I find out a better way to do it, I'm gonna move. I'm going to do that now because I figured out a better way to do it, whether or not it's a a simpler, a work smarter, not harder way, if it's an efficiency, if it's a numeric, like whatever the way is, if it's better for my student athlete in that moment, that's what I'm going to do because I know that that's the better in that situation. Like, why would I keep doing the worst thing? Um, and it's only until I got towards the latter years um, that I realized that not everyone exists in that way, that that doesn't apply to everyone that you work with. And I'd always been under the assumption that it does. I think in athletics, you're very much led to believe that everyone's constantly striving for the best, which means that everyone should be doing their best to strive for the best. And that's not the case. Like we, we have our, we all know people that are, are just doing it. Like they're getting it done, but they're not, they're not doing the extra. They're not taking on the extra load. They're not looking for the things that could be improved. They're just, yeah, I'm just, you know, I went to work. I did the job and I came home and that's okay. Like those people need to exist, but I heard something recently that you're either doing the most you're existing or you're pulling from the people that are doing the most. And you're constantly like moving throughout that spectrum. Um, but like, for me, I'm always doing the most. And like my, my friends will attest to that. The truth tellers in my life will remind me that I need to like chill out and take a back seat. Um, but I, I genuinely want to do all that I possibly can. So when you put that energy into an AT career, it's very detrimental to like personal, physical, and mental health, because then you spend all of your time. And the second a coach says, well, 
but what about this? You're like, well, let me get you an answer to that. I will find out right away. I have to have an answer to that for that person. Um, unfortunately for me and my characteristics, I ended up working with a few people, um, not just coaches that um, probably would not best be paired with someone that's a people pleaser. Um, and I say that to mean that they're the ones that I'm not, I, I don't want to accuse them both of taking advantage of the fact that I would go to the ends of the earth for people. Um, but then the one time that I would give 98% or come, come this close to an answer or not have the answer until tomorrow, it wasn't good enough for them. And they would make that very, very known. Um, so then it became this game of waiting to get into trouble or trying to do even more so that I don't get negative feedback. Cause I, I don't, I don't do well with negative feedback because in my mind, it's just something I could have done better, mm-hmm. which is not, not a great outlook to have. <laughs> it's very detrimental to like constantly live in a level of fear. And unfortunately for me, I've been through <clears throat> a little bit, a little bit of trauma, um, with that, um, aspect that I no longer have the ability to trust relationships, um, that there isn't going to be something coming down later, that there isn't going to be another shoe that falls. I'm constantly waiting. Um, and I'm working, I'm working very much to not be constantly waiting. Um, but I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm always waiting for the, yeah, but of a conversation or of a relationship or of something happening. I, I cannot trust that everything is good, that we're all fine because in my experience, and that's where the difference is you have a lot of people that don't trust it and they just have trust issues. Like they just really need to work through being able to trust people because people will show up for them. I have trust issues because every time I've gotten that little, oh, something doesn't feel right it has come down that way. Like the shoe has dropped. So it's dropped so many times for me that there is no ability for me to trust that everything's fine. So my response is to just continually add more to it. So no, I don't think that everyone should do all of the things. Um, And I think that's part of the reason why I end up completely burnt out. And I end up completely at the end of my rope with athletic training and my mental health and completely in all of the directions, because I, I want to do the most for all the people and I need to do, and the, all the people don't include myself. So that's the lesson that 2022 is going to bring us is that it's forcing me to like actually be here with myself and not just take on the emotional load of someone else, not take on the physical load of someone else, not go out and research a million different things. I mean, we've talked about that. I think in the collegiate setting is, um, well, you guys aren't doing a ton of research. No, I may not be doing academic research in terms of gathering a group of people, having in numbers, processing through things and doing those things. But a component of research is the, um, the clinical knowledge of working with someone right? It's that, it's that I know, and it may not be supported here, but I know that with this student athlete, this, this is what's working. This is what's helping them get over the pain hump. This is what's helping them feel better and be more functional. This is what's doing the best for them. Will it work for the next person? I don't know. We'll try it and see if it goes from patient to patient and we'll start generating, um, that hands-on knowledge, but 
I don't know. I think that you can, you can easily spiral and fall down into the doing the most for all the people pathway. Can understand. <laughs> nope. Can understand that fully. Um, kind of an aside and a question of that, you know, and this probably is what kind of brought you to your new opportunities. How would you balance that with the idea of something being sustainable um, in terms of a job? Cause that was one thing in my role at the last one is how I tried to shift my view, had a couple ATs that, you know, I had kids that were in middle school going into high school. Um, they were split roles. So they taught half the time they were, you know, a clinical half the time. And I didn't realize it when I first got there, cause I was that hard driving 27 year old, like, I had a dog that slept 20 hours of the day, so he didn't need a ton of <laughs> interaction and he was good. Um, but then obviously, I, you know, I knew life was going to change at some point, but that was always my thing is what would make it sustainable? What keeps the staff together to be here? Because yes, they're going to be busy. There's times you're always going to be busy, you know, during season and there's a lot of demand there, mm-hmm. but outside of that, do we need to be like, can we make it? So how would you go? if you could even just kind of step back and this will kind of be a question towards the end as well. Like how do you view that trying to balance those at one to make it sustainable if you could have, I guess would be the best way to say that. So this comes up a lot in discussion. So I'm on one piece that I didn't mention in my intro is I'm on the board for women in athletic training. Um, And we have a, private Facebook group of 10,000 athletic trainers, 9,700, but we're getting there. We're almost at 10. Nice. Um, and this comes up a lot, like work-life balance and creating um, actual set barriers and fending for oneself comes up all the time, um, both from people that are just entering the career to veterans far beyond my experience. And I think what I've seen the most that it comes down to is your ability to set boundaries is a reflection of your administration. Because I can try to set all the boundaries that I want, but if my sports medicine director and their AD doesn't back my boundaries, my boundaries are worth nothing. Because then they're gonna come back and they're gonna say, well, you have to do this anyway. And you're like, but I, but I set a boundary and, and it's my boundary. So then you have the choice setting boundary wise of, I can set the boundary and I can hold firm to it and I can find another place of employment or, I can move my boundary line and then I can move it again. And so consciously you're not moving your boundary line to the end of the field to start off with, but you're moving it five yards, mm-hmm. five yards at a time. Eventually you're going to have a drive that takes you the entire way. Right. So like, I think that it, it has, it always boils down to leadership and <clears throat> how steadfast they are in fighting for those that they lead. So are they in a leadership or are they in a management? Because if you're there to be transactional and you're there to just do your aspect of athletic training and fend for yourself, that's fine. Don't be a director of sports medicine. Don't be a leader. Please just be an athletic trainer and don't take on the extra load of the title. But if you're willing to step up and stand up for your athletic trainers and say, no, 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 no. We are not calling our athletic trainers after 8 p.m. If you go to the ER, congratulations, you're at the ER. That is where you belong. They have physicians and healthcare people. Please let me know. Send me a text in the morning. I will check in with you. 
as an athletic trainer, there is nothing I can do for you at the emergency room. There's nothing I can do for you. There's just not. So there has to be a boundary set, but most of the time it doesn't boil down to whether or not we want to set the boundaries. It comes down to whether or not someone's going to help us enforce those boundaries. So if we constantly have people pushing it, I think that's what's going to make the biggest change. If we truly, truly want to set those boundaries, that's, I mean, that's where it is right now. My, my bosses literally said, do not put your email on your personal phone. Do not make phone calls from your personal number. You are doing it on company time from the company email because you need to have evenings. You need to have weekends. You have PTO time. So you need to use the PTO time, not this fake athletic training world where they say, oh yeah, you accrue all this time. I had an entire maternity leave that I took at UNI, an entire maternity leave paid from FMLA only. So all of my time off paid for it. When I left and my daughter's only three, I already accrued a full maternity leave worth. I maxed out all of my days off benefits because I don't have days to take off. Like they're not, it's a joke, right? Like we don't take days off. We work every single holiday. We work all of our nights and weekends on all of my time cards for the months I would put in work this weekend, but it doesn't really matter. Like, yeah, there's a note in that in the HR directory, but like, even when, even when I went into HR to file my FMLA paperwork, they were like, oh yeah, you're the athletic training group. You guys are very different. Uh Uh-huh. So if you have a university HR acknowledging that we're different, that's a problem. That shouldn't be this like badge of honor that we've done all these hours and we work all these things. Like, that's great, but it's not sustainable. The 80 hour work week is not sustainable. The 24 seven on call in an actual way, because now you become the healthcare person. So now you're made aware of it is not the same as someone calling up their academic advisor and saying, oh man, this professor doing this. Like now that can wait till tomorrow. That sounds like a tomorrow problem. And then they hang up, but someone calls you and you're like, well, okay, let, let me deal with this information. And that was before COVID right now we get the COVID phone call (laughs) and you spend the next four to five hours contact tracing. And if that COVID phone call came at 6, 15 PM, guess what you're doing till 10. Sorry, kids dinner. I gotta, I'm gonna be over here. What was that date that you talked to that one person for 15 minutes? Perfect. Let me just now do that for 15 more times. Like that's just not, it's not sustainable for anyone at any point. And if they're trying to make it sustainable in that way, like they're going to burn out at some point or something else is taking a major hit in their life. And they, they don't see it yet. Cause now I saw it and I'm very frustrated by how much, th- how many things I missed and how much time I missed out on. Cause I didn't, sure. I never had someone to fight for that boundary. Yeah, I think that that point about, you know, just that leader, you know, that leadership role, like the position is just a title that what you do in the position, I think, is what really makes it um, important because, yes, just because you're there doesn't necessarily mean you're a leader and that you don't need the title to be a leader either. I think that was one that I leaned on heavily in my previous one, which is so, as I referenced, the uh, more experienced ATs, they've just been doing it longer. One had been kind of a head AT um at a another local university and just taking those insights and while it didn't make sense to me at the beginning actually letting it sink in um probably made for a lot more peaceful of a job at times than getting too busy um one i did want to ask um and kind of make this maybe our last topic before we jump into those um at chat questions was you know 
you referenced this when we were talking about over empathy and how it takes its toll. And then you just referenced, you know, there's COVID and this, and there's, you know, all these different things, the ER calls, which I still remember back to KU, like some of the times I drove an hour from where I was hanging out for what, like other than say, all right, here, we'll have you follow up with the team doctor tomorrow. Like in hindsight, did I need to absolutely do that? Probably not. Cause if they were, you know, any other student, (laughs) that wouldn't have been the case but you know especially seemingly more and I don't want to actually say any setting but for for a lot of those you know where can it end for an AT we have so much placed on us whether it's real which oftentimes it is or even potentially perceived which it can also be of you've got to play mental health counselor you have to know all of you know this medication-based stuff you know for whatever comes up plus do all the musculoskeletal things is it just a sign of a much bigger problem or is it you know the at potentially taking a step back and saying you know there is only so much i am able to provide because that's just where it is thoughts i think athletic trainers are brought up on the idea that we are the go-tos. Early on in my career, I was taught the idea that um, take on more so that you don't become expendable. Like they, you, you can't be expendable if you're doing all of the things. Like I definitely was taught that I'm like, well, that's fine. I'll just do that because that's one more reason that I'm not expendable. Um, first of all, I should not be expendable because I am providing health care for your student athlete, period, end of story, right? Like, why, why am I the one running to the nearby grocery market to buy bottles of Powerade during the day because you can't figure out how to get it shipped or you don't feel like affording the extra $100? Like, no, that's my time for me. Like, why, why am I doing those things or why am I... I, I could go on. There's a whole list of things that I'd like to take on. Um, but to your point of um, caring, that's that's where it gets athletic trainers the worst, right? We can try to set boundaries on, no, like I am not your strength coach. I am not going to build you an entire warm-up. I will add pieces to it that I think are very valuable for the prevention of athletic injury, but I'm not building your entire calisthenics. Like you have a strength coach, please go speak to them. That is what their degree is in. Thank you. Do I have the knowledge to do it? Absolutely, I do. Am I going to just do that off the cuff for every single coach that asks it? No, no, I'm not. Like they have they have that role. Please let that person do that job. I will do my job. I think where it gets got me in trouble, and I think where it gets a lot of people in trouble is the empathy fact where I care greatly about the humans in my life to a fault. The number one thing I heard back on all of my feedback was like, you care what people think too much and you, you need to take a step back. Like you care too much. I think that's going to be a problem. I'm sorry. I care too much. Oh, okay. I I don't know how to turn that off. Like that's not a thing that I can just turn off. I'm sorry. I genuinely care that this person is struggling in what they're going through, but on the flip side, that makes me a phenomenal athletic trainer because I'm actually caring about what they say that their pain levels are at. Regardless of whether or not they are at that level, if that's their perceived pain level, then that's where I'm going to treat. 
if this is what they're struggling with, then that's what they're struggling with. I'm, I, I want to be able to show up for my patients or I did show up for my patients. I want to show up for my coaches. I want to show up for the people in my life. And part of showing up for me is showing up for them as a whole. Like you're not just left knee kid that walked in. You're not hamstring kid that walked in. You're so-and-so with a name and a face. And this is plaguing you beyond that one thing, because yes, your ankle hurts, but now that your ankle hurts, it's having this negative effect with your volleyball team because the coach has this opinion and your other players have this opinion and you can't get around and it's all that you want to do and your identity is caught up in it. And then you have your parents involved. And oh, by the way, you have all that stress that you're now dealing with as a 19 year old and you have to pass your classes and you have to skedaddle 10 minutes on campus as fast as you possibly can to make it to your next class, which you're not going to do because you're hobbling along in Iowa in the winter. So I just feel like there's so much like that's what I would get. I can't see without seeing the whole the whole person, the whole problem, the whole picture. So that's where I think athletic trainers kind of run into that problem where we're taught all of the tools in the toolbox and to do all of the things. Like we can find all the answers to all the perceivable problems. So why would we not just help solve those things? But then you end up with all of the problems and all of the things that, oh, well, Chelsea can just do that. That's fine. Maybe that was an answer. Maybe no, not. no, that was good. <laughs> no, that was definitely good. Anything else that you really wanted to cover before we hop into the HT chat questions? Just because I'm, I, think, I know I think you'll have, you'll have some good we're stuff. Being, we're being conscious of time. The two things I'll say, and I'll say them very, very quickly. I think as athletic trainers and to anyone listening, watching the podcast, I'm a listener. Um, if I just watch, I get too excited about it. So, um, Please, please, please do all that you possibly can to create a safe space for your student athletes, all of them across the board. And that doesn't just mean, oh, but I'm a safe person. Like, how are they going to know that? Like, are you, are you introducing yourself to every single student athlete as a safe space? Are you, are you, no, you're not. So it's in all of your actions, right? So if you're allowing the the borderline joke or the inappropriate joke or the knock on that, whatever, other people hear you and they're going to turn you off as a safe space because you allowed that joke to happen and didn't shut it down. I think also, and for me, this was very, very true that when I participated in safe space training, both with NATA and my schools, I would make sure I was safe zone at every school I was at. Um, I did a mental health safe zone. I did those things and you get a placard, right? Put them on your freaking door, like put them on your window because it's not so much a don't do it performatively. Don't do it if you're not going to back it up, but back it up. So I would put it on my window so that anybody that walked into our athletic training room, if they were in a crisis at that moment and they identified with any of those areas, they knew that my office was a safe space. Had they watched me around in the athletic training room, they also, I backed that up with all of my actions. I was always around. I was always, we're not, no, we are not, we are not having that joke. That is not a funny joke. We're not going to talk about that. That shouldn't be talked about at all, but definitely not in this athletic training room. And it has to be in action. So I think that's one thing I would add. Um, you know, we'll, we'll just stop with that one. That one's that one's important enough that we will stop at that one. No, don't really get it. I think that's an important thing to highlight. Um, just for those that work, you know, in public sector, because we learned this at the university I was at. Um, you know, what, what confidential resources are, what state mandating or reporting policies are, um, 
we found because, you know, obviously we are like in, in Wisconsin anyway, we are licensed medical professionals. We fell underneath that confidentiality. Whereas if a student athlete had gone to a coach, they were a mandatory reporter. So things got a little um, confusing there sometimes, but we made very sure to reiterate that, you know, so just understanding the big, bigger context in terms of the stuff that you were doing, um, I think it all kind of blends well together, but there's some nuance to all of it. Um, would just be one thing that I would add just to make sure that you're covering your bases so you don't get yourself in any legal trouble, whether it was inadvertent or well, safe, safe space doesn't have to mean that right. I'm being your confidant. It could also mean that you're able to come and tell me something you're excited about. Yep. It doesn't have to mean that I am the person that you're trying to like um that you're that you're in the closet or you're not comfortable telling your story. It just means that it's a safer space for you to be. So Regardless of where you are in your journey, a safe space to me means that I am a person, I am an ally for you. And for me, that was regardless of your race, regardless of your orientation, regardless of your gender identity, did not matter. I need you to know that I am a safe person for you. So if you are unsafe in any situation, I got you. I'm here and I will absolutely stand up or stand with however you need me to be in that space. That's what I'm there for. On to the T-Chat questions. Go for it. Fire away. Where do you see the profession of athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? Uh, okay. So one of your interviewees uh, asked the question, do I answer this personally and professionally? And you said do both. Uh, so professionally, um, there is going to be a lot of changes. Um, there's going to be a lot of um, challenges to keep up with some of the written changes that are happening, um, at the national levels. Um, I think there's some big battles that are coming down the pipe with our healthcare peers in terms of, um, practice acts mm -hmm. and, uh, kind of standing up for each other personally. I'm terrified for our profession. Um, to be frank, I really don't think that some of the decisions that have been made are in the best interest of the profession as a whole. And I don't think that they are very um, wide sided. I think they're very near sighted. I think they're very um, built around ideals that went out of style 20 years ago. Um, they're not, they're, from what I'm seeing happening at the national level, and I'm not going to call out entities, I'm not going to call out groups, um, because I think it's a, a bigger issue than that. Um, but from what I'm seeing, we are still extremely reactive as a profession in making decisions, and we are by nowhere close to being proactive. Um, and I think our generation, and I think the generation coming up behind us, they have a lot of proactive ideas, and we need to start listening to those. So that's where I'm at. Fair enough. Um, if you could go back and give yourself some advice as a young athletic trainer, what would it be? And if you could set when you would tell yourself that. Yeah. So uh, I, th this one, I absolutely have an answer to, because this is what I thought of the most um, that in undergrad, there was a pivotal moment where our, preceptors brought us all together and completely tore us a new one 
for not competing with each other. We were the first class to come through and unite together as a class and help each other. Like, yeah, we would like, there were some competition things that they would have like built into the classes, um, like for whatever. But in general, like we weren't competing for who's going to beat this person out to be the football or who's going to do this and like kind of this like grudge fighting match. Um, and so we got in a ton of trouble for that, for coming together as a group. And we're basically told like, y'all need to start fighting for it because you don't care is what has how they took it. Um, and that created a lot of problems the final year of our undergrad and then instilled that idea of moving forward. And I think that that is something that I would tell my younger person and I would tell every single other athletic trainer um, that I possibly could is it is not a competition. It is not Chelsea versus Joel to the best athletic trainer in the world. Like that is absolute BS. Like you need to show up and be the best athletic trainer you can be for your patients. And there is no grading between two. We all do things very differently. And the sooner we team up to help each other out, the better our profession would be. One of my favorite years was I was with volleyball and in, in the Missouri Valley, instead of like sending the letters and pretending like we didn't see these people three times in the fall for all of our competitions, we just made a Google sheet and we shared all the information that we needed, what we needed when we came, what we wanted when they, what we offered back and forth. And then we had a group chat and it was like this little family of volleyball athletic trainers that had never met each other from anywhere else before. And we had each other's backs. If a kid went down with whatever, if they were stuck in a hotel room, there was one athletic trainer that left his AirPod in a hotel. And he was like, hey, uh, I called, can you give me a quick ride when I get back so I can grab that? Absolutely, I can. Like, we're supposed to be peers. We're supposed to be colleagues. We're supposed to fight for each other, not against each other. I'm so tired of fighting against people. <laughs> so no, it's not a competition. It's just not. That's my like, answer for that one. I like it. Yeah. What has been the most influential resource that you found in your career? Uh, women in athletic training. The group started in 2018. I begged and begged and begged my friend to be a part of it. Um, and a year later, they finally let me be a part of it. And since then, I have found myself. I have found my tribe. I thought all of that was bullcrap and didn't exist and was a falsity that Hollywood tells us about. Um, I didn't really have lasting female friends. I owe an apology to every single woman out there that has ever left the athletic training profession um, to be a mom because I full on thought that they just couldn't hack it. And I will own up to that, that it had absolutely nothing to do. They were choosing their family. They were choosing themselves. They were choosing a better situation. Um, and the more that has been brought to light and the more that has become accepted in our group as a y'all, this is not sustainable. Like we see that every single day, someone else is posting about an issue that they're having that is just not sustainable. Um, so that group has given me an outlet for creativity. It has given me a positive way to give back to the profession. It has given me some of my very best friends that I will have for life. Um, and honestly, it gave me the strength to leave the university setting and pursue elsewhere. Um, so yeah, they're, they're a powerful source of, um, amazingness. And I think what part of what makes the group fantastic is that there's no drama. There's no cattiness. There's no cutting each other down. When someone asks a question about an eval, the first question is like, well, did you look at the knee? No, like 
I'm an athletic trainer. Like, of course I looked at the things, but it's the next level of questions. It's always assuming the best of that person. And I think that the more we can do that, oh, the things that could change would be amazing. So yeah, women athletic training has definitely changed my career as an athletic trainer. I like it. Um, if you could change or eliminate one thing, um, could be a modality, a kind of a practice, a mindset or whatever you choose in athletic training, what would it be? Oh gosh, Joel. I feel like there's so many different answers to this. Um, my, since I already said the mindset that has to go away, we'll mm-hmm. use that one as like, ha, I got a slide in two answers. There you go. Um, we're going to go with modality. It's ice. It's all things ice. Love um, it. Yeah, I will. I'm okay with using it the first 48 after a surgery. Um, and for like those kids that I can use it for the first 48 after like a, a higher level injury, if like they're sure. going to get a ton of swelling, I'm like, yes, we're going to do some pain control. Here we are. But after that, like, no. Um, and I think that if you're struggling with that with your student athletes, really go from the educational aspect and also know who you can convince. I am not trying to convince my senior softball pitcher. Nope, not going to be a thing. That is up here. That is not here. Um, I think that's a really important point. Right. It but gets lost in the context. Yep. If you have those conversations in August and they can try it out in the fall yep. and see that active recovery and actual prehab and doing all those things makes it better, then when they get to the spring, they're not worried about it. They don't need it. Like I yep. don't pack, I never packed ice bags. So when I would get someone like, I need an ice bag from this one person because they said that they needed it. Or like, I'm asking for an ice bag is because I have a migraine and I need ice for my neck. So sure. ice. Yeah, ice. Uh, one more question that I think we added since I originally reached out to you. So I'm going to throw it in there. It's not, it's not a catch on or it's going to catch you on. But um, in an athletic trainer in your role, how do you take care of yourself? Oh, not well. Um. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning how to take care of myself. I think the number one thing I've done for myself and I had to, I absolutely had to do it. Um, is I found a therapist. Um, and initially I found a therapist through the EAP program that my university had because it was a, um, a trauma situation, um, that I was going through. And it wasn't that an athlete had something like it was, it was trauma within myself Mm -hmm. um, that I was dealing with. And, um, did my first six sessions. Cause fun fact, if you work, most of your employers have an EAP option. It's out there. You get free sessions because they want you to be able to, to counsel that and move forward. Um, and I just kept it going. Um, my plan was initially to start it and also keep it going. Um, but <clears throat> I've learned so much about myself and so much about boundaries and so much about true health um, and true mental health and the importance of that, that I think that's been my game changer. So while I'm learning how to do all the other things, and now I get to figure out weekends and evenings and family time, it's taking care of me. And, and, um, I did, I did hear a quote once and I'll end, I'll try to end up quickly with this, that women struggle with this even more so than men, because when men have a cup, they generally view it as full. Like this is my full cup. This is my life. I am full. So when they're pouring from their cup, they're pouring from a cup and they're only getting the half empty. So like, it's cool. I still have half a cup left. I'm good. I'm all right. And then they'll just fill it right back up. Right. They, they exist in the top half of the cup. Women exist at half full most of the time. 
um, if that. So when we're pulling, when we're pouring from that cup or when we're pouring from a quarter or like the last little bit or like the tiny little bit of like melted Starbucks that we have, um, that's it. There, we pour it all out into, into the people in our lives and what we're doing. So when we're trying to refill, we're refilling to half full. Mm-hmm. Our, there's not even a dream to fill the full. Like, I don't even know what full looks like. I couldn't even answer you. What does happiness look like? I have no clue. But I think that the more we recognize that as women, the more we can like start to realize that like, you got to keep the bottom half. Like we got to start building the top so we can pour from there and like actually turn it back to ourselves and start saving some of that for ourselves and then our family. I like it. Hadn't heard that analogy before, but I can definitely see where it comes from. Uh, Last question. What does being an athletic trainer mean to you? Uh, Versatile, versatility. I can, because of athletic training, I feel like I can take on any problem. Like there's going to be an answer and I'm going to find it. Um, And if I can't find it, then I don't know who else can, but I'm going to find it somewhere, (laughs) either a person or a thing or a place or a referral or whatever. Um, We're extremely versatile. Perfect. I think that's the first time that word's been used, but I think it fits amazingly well. So um, just to kind of wrap up, if people wanted to connect with you, um, and I'll even say with women in AT, just because you, you're so involved with it, what would be the best place? And we will link up all of this. I, I know you got, yeah, I'm, I'm all, all the places. Yep. Yeah. I'm all the places I, um, I Twitter, I try to keep for athletic training. So I am much more athletic training based there. Um, but for me as a human, um, I'm very active on Facebook. I'm huge in the women athletic training group. Um, but you do have to be a woman to be in that group. Um, so if you are not, then you can contact me anywhere else. Um, I have gotten into TikTok, which I thoroughly enjoy. And if you are hating on TikTok out there, please just try it out for a month and you don't have to post anything at all. But I have learned so many things from watching TikTok, like the life hacks are ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much on all the socials, the main socials. Perfect. Well, we'll link those up for everybody, but glad we got this to work. Appreciate you taking it. Yes, me too. It's been good to catch up. So I'm going to thank Mueller Sports Medicine again for powering this podcast and everything they do for athletic trainers, not only for us, but around the country. Please check them out for all your AT needs. Uh, so many good things coming out of there. Always open to your feedback. So if you've got ideas, get in touch with them and they'll happily listen and try and figure out how to best implement that. So we just want to say thank you again. And we'll talk to you all next episode.